right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Obviously, again, I'm not Ken, and I'm here to clean up the mess of everything that he said last week. Um, see, I can say that because he's not currently in the room, but I'm sure he can hear me out there. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us before we get started. If you all have your Bibles, you can turn to First uh, Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 25 today. Father, thank you for today, and I just thank you for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, and just for bringing us here this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for just giving us the, the freedom to, to, to worship you through um, diving into your word, Lord, and I also just pray that we would leave here today um, truly changed by what it is that you have to teach us through your word. Uh, Father, I pray that we would learn the importance of what it means to submit to you, um, Lord, but also at the same time, uh, what a gracious thing it is to show those around us um, the good works that we do because of what you've done for us. Um, and so, Father, I pray that you would prepare the hearts and minds of everybody in this room uh, Lord, to, to hear what you have to say. In this year, I pray. Amen. Okay, so this week we have titled the lesson, Be Subject. Now, we're, we're already on week five. It's crazy to think that we're almost halfway through this semester. But if you're like me, I... I see the word subject, and, you know, I typically think of submit or submission, and that's something that in our day and age is considered a hot topic. It's kind of contra- controversial. And then actually what you'll see today is if we add on to that, there is some verses in this passage that are kind of hard to deal with. They're, they're, it's a difficult passage uh, just in our current setting, but I want to kind of point out at the very beginning is, can I believe that God's word, as we take it at its word, and it says that every single aspect of it, every single part of it, is profitable for teaching. And that's something that we truly believe. And so when it comes to difficult passages, this is not something we want to skip over. This is something we believe God has put there for a reason, and we believe that it's, it's worth teaching and worth going over. And so we, we want to dive, in from that, dive into that, and we don't want to shy away from it. But when it comes to our day and age, the idea of submission, the idea of being subject to really having somebody in authority over us is not something that we typically enjoy. It's something that we, when it comes to authority, we, we, we typically want to really go after our own autonomy. I think so much of our culture today idolizes autonomy that when it comes to being subject to something, we typically are not the biggest fans of it. But when we see all throughout Scripture the idea of submitting to the Lord or, or being subject, and we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? I think today we'll actually see that really the idea of freedom in Christ and being subject to the Lord or submitting ourselves to the Lord go hand in hand. They seem like they're opposites, but they go hand in hand. But to be subject to something, it really, in a general sense, means that somebody has authority over us. And with that, we feel like we don't have control. I think for me, I'll say it this way, I'm a huge American history nerd. I don't know if anybody knows that about me, but I love American history. In fact, over COVID, I actually, at the very beginning of all the lockdown stuff, I set this goal to read a biography about every American president in order. And so I love American history. I, I'm a nerd that way. And so I think if you think about the idea of uh, being subject or the idea of not having our freedom because somebody is in authority over us, 
especially in our culture today, here in the U.S., that kind of seems backwards because if you think about American history, the whole reason this country was founded is because people were fleeing a tyrant. They were fleeing something and they wanted freedom. And so we really pride ourselves on the freedom that we have, but we see that Scripture calls us to submit ourselves to the Lord. And so I think what we'll see today is our really our definition of freedom is going to be kind of turned upside down. I think we have this idea of what it means to be free, but I, I, what I really hope to do today is kind of change our minds on what that means, try to change our minds of seeing that, man, being free in Christ means that we have the privilege of submitting ourselves to the Lord. And so asking ourselves, being subject to the Lord, does it mean that we have no freedom? So pick up with me in verse 11. I want to go uh, kind of back to where Ken ended last week, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you see, all throughout the, the end of where we left last week, Peter is reminding his readers that we need to do whatever we can, really as he's been talking through this whole letter, our life needs to be marked by the fear of the Lord. We need to do whatever we can to bring glory to the Father, and in doing so, we're submitting to him. But the goal of all of this is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Your good deeds will glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, this should be our goal. And really, it's kind of the, the chief end of what we are supposed to be doing here on this side of eternity, is trying to do whatever we possibly can to glorify the Lord. Excuse me. And see, the reason we do that, the reason we submit ourselves to the Father, the reason that we, we do whatever we can to glorify Him is because of who we are. See, our actions reveal God to this world. We, being made new in Christ, everything that we do should point others, those around us, to Him. So our actions reflect Him to this broken world. Look at Matthew chapter 5. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you were here on Sunday, Matt preached out of Matthew, but he was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and talked about the, the passage where in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. One of the things that I love that he said there was light, any time in Scripture, is always used as a revelatory term. And what that means is it's always revealing something to the world. It's always revealing something to those around it. So when, when we see here in Matthew, it says, let your light shine before others. Your actions, those of us who have been made new in Christ, should be revealing God to the world. Our actions are, the way we live our lives should be, as we've seen already through 1 Peter, marked by the fear of the Lord. We should love others. We should honor God. We should do all of these things to bring glory to the Lord, but because we're doing that, others around us will see what we're doing and therefore come to know Him. That's the whole thing that it says here, so that we can give glory to the Father and others come to know Him. So you see, Jesus calls us to live honorably among the lost. I mean, as we saw in this passage, it tells us to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. 
Peter's writing to these people, trying to get them to understand, hey, even though you're going through persecution now, you're going through uh, situations in life where there are people around you that don't believe the same thing, we are still called to live honorable lives, submitting ourselves to the Lord. And the reason that we do that is because it brings glory to the Father, but also it points lost people to him. If you'll remember, Matt also said on Sunday, when the West Campus was planted, 80% of every single people, or all the people in Parker County had no affiliation with the church. That's crazy. 80% of an entire county in Texas had no affiliation with the church. You and I have the privilege of acting in such a way, living in honorable lives that bring glory to the Lord because it shows others what, has, what God has done in our lives and we get to point others to him. So pick up with me in verse 13. This is really where we're starting today. But keep in mind what, what Peter's saying here. You see, we're, we're talking about being subject to the Lord, submitting ourselves to the Father. But look at what Peter does. He even takes it a step further. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter says we're subject to the Lord, or we're subject to authority, but we're doing this for the Lord's sake. And then in verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So what does it mean to be subject? This is a, um, a definition from Wayne Grudem. It's his commentary on 1 Peter. And here's what he says what it means to be subject. It says, to be subject means to be submissive to an authority. And this usually implies obedience to that authority. Now, I know you read that and you're like, that's such a simple definition. Like, I could have come up with that. And it's like he's kind of repeating things. But I think as simple as it is, it it's, it's true. To, to be subject to something is we're submitting ourselves to an authority. And in order to submit yourself to authority, you are being obedient to whatever that authority is. Now, the point that I want to make here is when it comes to our obedience to the Lord and us submitting ourselves to him and the authority that he has in our lives, this idea of obedience or really submission is not some just blind adherence. We're not robots just walking through not having the ability to make any decisions at all. But this obedience as we submit ourselves to the Lord and then as Peter has said here to, to every human institution for the Lord's sake, we do this based on a love for the one who's redeemed us. If you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about fearing the Lord, a, a massive part of fear for the Lord, fear of the Lord was this idea of understanding what God has done for you. It was a reverence, and that reverence is, it was supposed to fill our lives in this understanding of, man, God sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins, and that has changed our lives. And so I think the same thing applies to us here. When we're submitting ourselves to the Father, submitting ourselves to authority, being subject and living our lives in this way, we're, we're acting in obedience to the Lord because of the love that he has shown for us. The idea that God has redeemed us and we are going to honor him by doing these things. But then consider the context. As Peter says here, submit yourself to every human institution. 
the people that he's writing to, we've well established are facing persecution. So we've talked about how we think it's persecution that uh, is something that you and I are probably more familiar with, right, when it comes to alienation from friends, fears, uh, family members, you fill in the blank. But to the people he was writing to, under Roman rule, Nero was the emperor. Now, I don't know if you guys know much about Nero, but he was a a bad dude. (laughs) Like, he did a lot of really evil and wicked things. He was known for consistently persecuting believers, um, even killing some of his family. Anybody that challenged his rule, he pretty much went after in brutal ways. And this was the guy that these people, as they're reading this letter, they're like, Peter, what are you talking about? Submitting to human institutions, submitting ourselves for the Lord's sake. Do you know who this guy is? Have you seen what he has done? What are you trying to get us to see? What are you trying to get us to understand? But then he doubles down. Peter says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says this is the will of God. But you see, what what Peter's trying to get his readers to understand is that submission to authority displays that we recognize who our true authority is. You see, even in hard situations, honoring those in authority over us, what Peter is trying to get his readers to understand is that what we're doing is we are showing to the world, man, we truly understand who the authority in our life is, and what we're trying to do is bring honor and glory to him. You see, our good deeds, even in the face of opposition, or subjugation will silence false accusations. That's what Peter's saying. He says, look, even in persecution, even in a hard situation, even in a situation that you don't like to be in, acting honorably among the lost will bring glory to the Lord and thereby in turn show the glory of God to those around you who have no idea who God is. And what an amazing thing that we have, the privilege that we have to get to do that. But see, Peter knew this from personal experience. If you remember a couple years ago, we went through the book of John in both the fall and spring semester. And I feel like every time we talked about Peter, it was never in a good light. Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth or always saying something that he probably shouldn't say. Or like, no, Jesus, I'll never betray you or deny you. And then, of course, does it three times. Peter knows what he's talking about here because he's, he's had experience with it. When they were in the garden, when Jesus was in the garden with the disciples, he was about to be arrested. Uh, the, the people come in to arrest him, and this is what happened. It says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Peter acted out of fear, right? He, he immediately jumps up, tries to defend Jesus, cuts off the guy's ear, but then Jesus stands up and says, no, Peter, calm down, tells him to stop, and then heals the guy's ear. You see Peter acting in such a way, really, that wasn't honorable uh, amongst people who were really against Christ. But as Peter's writing this letter to these people, saying all these things, which kind of seem contrary to the way he's lived his life at certain points, he's writing it, and he's much older, he's wiser, he's learned that what he's saying really is, I've put away the sword that I've used before because God has given that sword to those in authority over him. And it's this idea of submitting 
or, or um, being subject to those authorities because he's wanting to bring glory to the Lord. But see, here's the, the, the crazy thing that I, I, I cannot wait to talk about. It's he's now free to submit. See, that seems so backwards, right? The, I feel like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth when you say you're free to submit because they feel like they're the opposite of each other. But Peter has now understand that he has been made new in Christ. He has been given a new life. His old ways are gone. He has broken the chains of all the sin in his life. He is now free. But that freedom gives him the ability to obediently submit himself to the Father. And see, he goes on to say that. He says, live as people who are free. But making sure that you don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then in verse 17, he echoes everything that he said up to this point. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. You see, he's building on what he's already said. Love your brother, fear the Lord. All of these things play into what it means to obediently submit ourselves to to the Father. You see, our freedom in Christ, we, we, we have been made new, and what that allows us to do is it allows us to obediently submit to him, but it also allows us to serve. See, this is, this is the important aspect of understanding who we are in Christ, right? We, we, we've got to, as Matt said on Sunday, we've got to get off the couch. We've got to go out and serve. And man, being made new, being, having been given this freedom, given the gospel, this, this amazing truth we now have, we get to go share with others. Guys, there are people that you will see today, all of us will see somebody today who we know doesn't have a relationship with the Father, and how amazing is it that you and I get to show that love to them. We have freedom in Christ so that we can serve, but that freedom also allows us to obediently submit to him. See, the idea of freedom and, and submission going hand in hand is really used all throughout Paul's writing. Paul talks about it a ton. Peter talks about it a lot. But this is from 1 Corinthians. Paul says that even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So he's saying both, man, I am free. Christ has, has made me new. Christ has freed me. But... Now, I've become a slave to all people because I want people to have that same freedom and that same ability to obediently follow the Lord. And, and Peter's going to continue playing on this idea of, um, as we see here, servants and, and masters. He goes through specific situations. Now, as I said earlier, there's passages in First Peter that are hard to deal with, and this is one of them. And I want to make a quick note. I can't spend a ton of time on this. But we see here in verse 18, Peter says, subject, uh, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Then goes on to say, this is a gracious thing. Now what we need to make sure we don't do with this passage is read our 21st century context into it. Because I think a lot of times when we see something like servants or slaves, the first thing that we think of is American slavery. That is the idea that we have in mind when we approach a passage like this. 
We need to make sure that we understand that that's not necessarily what Peter or his readers would have thought of. Because when he says, servants be subjects to your masters with all respect, their idea, they had something a little different in mind. And I want to read this quote. This is from a, uh, a, a guy from the, the University of Chicago. He has really spent his whole career kind of reading, researching, and writing about the idea of servants and slavery and all of that when it comes to um, the biblical world. And I think he does a good job of explaining this here. He says, the biblical injustice of American slavery comes down to two things working in tandem. It's permanence and it's purely racial basis. Even ancient Hebrew slaves enjoyed periodic jubilee, so the year of jubilee. All debts were forgiven, uh, servants were freed. He says, certainly New Testament slaves had various means to earn their freedom, depending on the context. This much can be said. God never permits his people to use slavery as a means of permanent exploitation or the gluttonous feeding off of others and their children generation after generation. I want to make sure that you guys understand me very clearly. The idea that we think of when it comes to slavery is unbiblical in every aspect, even in, I think it's, I believe it's First Timothy, as we read through that, we see passages about how even, like, something that Paul says, enslavers are, like, it's sinful. Somebody who would send and trap and bring people into slavery, that, as this says here, the permanent exploitation of people, that is sinful. God does not condone that at all. But what we need to understand that we're, we're what we're doing here is Peter is building off of this idea of us, even in situations that we don't enjoy, even in persecution, that we are submitting ourselves to the Lord. And so don't miss the forest for the trees here, right? Because we, we tend to focus on this passage and get lost and miss the point that Peter's trying to make. Because you see, Peter was calling them to submit even to unjust masters. That's you and I kind of thinking through this as we try to put this in our context. It's when we have bosses that we don't like to work for. Ken. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but when we have the, these moments where we are in a situation where whether these people were facing persecution or we have um, those in authority over us who are, are frustrating, it's even in with unjust masters, we are to submit because this brings glory to the Lord. And he even says it here, even if it results in suffering. And in fact, we should expect suffering. Scripture is very clear that the believer will experience suffering in their life. But we're able to endure because we know how it ends. I feel like every week since last semester and even now, we have said we've got to live with the end in mind. And we can, with doing that, it allows us to endure these sufferings, endure, the, endure these trials. All this is based on the knowledge that God will be with us. And so, like I said, in verse 19, Peter says, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He calls it a gracious thing. And what's so fascinating here is the word that he uses for, for gracious. It's the Greek word charis, and it, it goes along with what Peter has been doing constantly throughout this letter, and it's basically telling us that we are something. Not becoming something, but we are something. Because 
The definition for gracious here, it's the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. You are already powered, governed by the power of divine grace. This is not something that once you've been made new, you are going to try to become. It's who you already are. This is a gracious thing. You see, our goodness, our actions, our words, the way that we represent Christ to the world, in our suffering, it displays God's grace to those around us. The true grace of God must show up in our works and not just our words. You see, this is the call to action. This is one of those things where we see, like on Sunday, what I loved, what Matt did on the, towards the end of his sermon was he was saying, we have now got to get, get off our feet. We have people in our lives, people in this world who don't know the Lord. And that even in all of our actions, we can submit ourselves to the Lord, showing the true grace of the Father. The true grace of God must show up in our works, not just our words. And Peter, basically at the end of this letter, says, this, this is why I'm writing this to you. He says, I have written briefly to you, extorting and declaring that all of this, this is the true grace of God. So we, we, we read these passages and we ask ourselves, okay, so we have to, we must do good, right? We've seen that in um, really a lot of chapter one. We've seen at the beginning of chapter two, you know, put away all slander, deceit, all of these, everything, all these things. But why do we do good? Well, Peter tells us it's God's will even when we face persecution, even in hard times, even to these people as they're facing persecution and really the idea of Nero being in charge, in all of that, we are doing good because it's bringing glory to the Lord. You see, there's value in enduring trials faithfully. I mean, James, in his letter, says that you should consider it pure joy because when you face trials, you endure trials, you are producing perseverance. But it's also bringing glory to the Father and showing him to those around us. So it brings glory to the Lord, but you see this, the idea of bringing glory to God, that's the end game of all creation. The purpose behind everything that God has created is to bring him glory. That's you and me, and that's everything else in this world. It's, the purpose is to bring glory to the Father. And we see this in Philippians chapter 2. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. The end game, the goal, the purpose of everything that God has created is to bring glory to himself. And that includes you and me. There's going to be a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is bringing glory to the Father. That's how we should live our lives with that in mind. But in all of this, when we even bring in the, the idea of doing good in our suffering, even in our suffering, even in the trials that we face, consider, consider Job, right? Job, the whole story of Job is, man, he was a, he was a, a, a very godly man. We see in the beginning of the, of the book, he was... Uh, a righteous guy. He was a servant of the Lord, and he was honorably, honorably serving the Lord. 
But then he goes through a ton of trials, right? He loses all of his kids, his land, his houses. He gets boils on his skin. He goes through a ton of suffering. But then look at this quote because I think it does a great job of kind of really showing us how Job's response towards the end of the book is a lot of times us and how we respond in our suffering, and it's not necessarily us doing good. But then look at how also God responds. So this says, strangely, God never directly addresses Job's pain and suffering in his grand monologue in Job 38 through 41. At the end of the book, Job, like I said, is kind of at this point of complaining to the Lord about everything that's happening, and God is saying, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Where were you when I created everything? So God never directly addresses Job's pain and suffering in his grand monologue. Instead, he recounts numerous instances of his own glorious acts in creation. Why? Because Job needed to see that there was something vastly larger than himself in the pain that circumscribed his minuscule world. He needed to situate his pain within the larger realm of the theater of God's glory. I love the phrase that he uses there, the theater of God's glory, because I think what that shows us is, man, the entirety of creation is supposed to bring glory to the Father. That is what we are supposed to do, even in our suffering. And so when we have persecution, when we face hard times, situating in ourselves and understanding that, man, there is something so much larger than myself happening here, even in our suffering, even in something that we think is terrible for us and is not a great situation, there is a way to bring glory and honor to the Father. We need to situate our pain, our suffering, all of these things, man, within the larger realm of the theater of God's glory. How amazing is that? This isn't me sitting here telling you, trying to slap you on the wrist saying, why aren't you doing this? But man, what an honor. How amazing it is that we get to live our life, every aspect of our lives in such a way that can bring glory to the Father. You see, we do good in this world because God has been good to us. That seems like a simple phrase, but man, the only reason we have the ability to do good is because God has redeemed us. That goes back to this understanding and the love that we have for the Lord because of what he has done for us. The only reason we have any ability to do good, to show, to bring glory to the Father is because of what he has done for us. And Peter hits on this in his, the beginning of his second letter. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. By God's divine grace, power, mercy, all of that, he has made us new. And therefore, we now have the freedom to submit to him out of obedience. And man, what an amazing thing that is because it brings glory to the Father. But how do we know what this looks like? How do we, it's, it's, it's enough to, to see Peter say, hey, do this. But how do we know what this looks like? The perfect example of this is Christ, and this is immediately where Peter's going to jump to. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
See, Christ is the perfect example. His life is the perfect model for you and I of the life of submission. See, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to live this life of submission that brings glory to the Father. Look at verse 22. It says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Echoing the same thing that we see with Paul. By his wounds, you have been healed. What's so interesting here is the way that Peter starts chapter 2 is by telling you and I to put away deceit, put away reviling, put away uh, all of these things and to live this godly life. And then he ends chapter 2 by pointing to the perfect example of that in Christ. And we see he committed no sin. He was not deceitful. He refused to revile. He suffered but never threatened retaliation. And he continued to trust God in every aspect. And he brought glory to the Father in doing that. You say, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. But what's so cool here is you see the, the focus of Peter is pointing you constantly to Christ. He says, he himself, his body, his wounds, it's all because of what Christ has done. The only reason we can do any of this, the only reason we have an example is because of what Jesus has done. Because of Christ. The life of Christ is the perfect example to follow. And even, look at what Mark 10 says. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, Jesus' life is the perfect example of a life of submission and, and obedience to the Father. Because even the Son of Man came down to earth not to be served, but to serve, willingly serving the Father. And the reason for that is so that many came to know him. He gave his life as a ransom for many. You see, Peter wants his, un, his readers to understand who they're following after, who the example that they have been given is. And through this, he's, he's really quoting Isaiah 53. Peter goes back to Isaiah quite a bit. But in that, he's, 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 it's a passage that's speaking to the humility and the suffering of Christ in the, at the same time. It's, he became sin who knew no sins that we might become the righteousness of God. See, that is what Peter wants his readers to understand. And by extension, you and I. Jesus was the perfect example of submission, selflessness, and sacrifice. You and I should have the same attitude as we submit ourselves to the Lord, even in our suffering. 
And I want to close with this because this, I think this is a, a marvelous passage out of Philippians 2, speaking to the humility, the selflessness, the, the sacrifice, and the obedience and submission of Jesus. It says, having this in mind among yourselves. Or have this mind. This is how you should act, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We even see in this incredible passage about the humility of Christ, his willingness to take the form of a servant and being obedient to God through every situation, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the attitude that we take on in our submission to the Lord. Guys, we have been made new. We now have been given our freedom, but that freedom allows us to so willingly be obedient to the Father. So here are the questions that I have for you guys today. First one says, how does having a future hope in Christ give us the ability to submit even when suffering. In the hard times that we have in this day and age, in this world, how does having a future hope in Christ allow us to willfully submit to him? Second, why are we called to do good even in our suffering? And how does that manifest itself today? In this passage, we saw a few examples, and if you can read through it, you'll see Peter is giving his readers specific examples of, hey, this is something you're dealing with. Here's how you can do good in that suffering. In our context today, in our suffering, we're called to do good. What does that look like for us today, and why should we act in that way? And then lastly, in what areas do you need to submit to the Lord in your life? Guys, today we've talked a lot about submission to the Father. And like I said, this is something that we don't, necessarily in our context, love talking about. If we were to take a step back, and I'm including myself in this, if we were to take a step back, what areas of our life are we not submitting to the Father? Because we all have them. What areas do we need to say, Lord, will you, one, will you reveal that I am not submitting to you this in this way? We're called to submit every part of our lives to him. So in what ways are we not doing that? Father, thank you for today, and just thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for your word and for teaching us this, what it means to truly be given freedom in you. And Lord, that giving us the ability to obediently follow after you and do good even in our suffering. Lord, I pray that we would leave here today understanding the, the grace and the mercy that you have shown us, Lord, and how you have transformed our lives and that we have this wonderful gift. God, I pray that every single man in this room would leave here today knowing that there are people in their lives that need you. They need your grace. They need your mercy. They need your gospel, Lord. And I pray that we would obediently follow after you and submit our lives to you and our lives would reflect to those people who are around us, your glory. And Lord, I pray that because of that, we would see so many people come to know you and start a new relationship with you. So Father, I pray that you would be with us in our time today in the questions. Lord, I pray that in our discussions that you would be present, um, God, and that we would leave here today changed by your word, Lord, and that we would 
earnestly seek to bring others to come to know you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.